The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about a hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you want to call into the show, uh, we'll take your call this morning. Uh, the number is 803-619-9855. It's, that's only good through the show, guys. So I know people call me after and you get a voicemail. Okay, So if you want to call, love to hear from you this morning, 803-619-9855. If you want to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of the radio... You want to watch the video portion of the radio show. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to see two videos. The one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from yesterday. So if you missed that and you'd like to catch that, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow up whatever device you've got, and then look for the Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that. You can join us in the chat on Rumble. we got some friends over there in Rumble. Good to see you guys. Good morning, and uh, thank you for joining us. And then, um, yeah, while you're over there, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, it's Sons of Liberty Radio Live. If you want to go there directly at Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. It's all one word. And subscribe to the channel there. You should get notified, but I'm getting all kinds of people telling me they've been unsubscribed. They don't get notifications. I, you know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what's going on there. Anyway, with that said, <laughs> we're not only streaming to Rumble, we're streaming to BeforeIt'sNews.com too. Uh, top of the page there, we appreciate Michael Roach and his team giving us a spot on their platform. Right up under where we're streaming live, though, on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Please do that. Uh, you get all the articles we have out for the day. And... Um, what in the world is wrong with this person here? You have a problem there, a lost username? Just talking to somebody in the chat there. I, I, I don't know what's going on with them. Anyway, uh, we'll see what happens. Anyway, uh, you get all the articles from SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and then that includes the morning show archive. So like yesterday, you see that's right here at the top. And uh, that has all of the links. If you missed yesterday's show with Rusty Thomas, wow, what an encouraging uh, message that Rusty has. He acknowledges his own um, 
failures, sins, and and then awakenings that, that God uh, did for him, and then the battle that he's been engaged in for many, many years uh, to preserve life, you know, to uphold the command of God not to kill. And um, <clears throat> if you miss that, you can check that out, sonsoflibertymedia.com. They're endowed with by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life. And uh, that'll also give you the full video. I played a small portion of his introduction and uh, so you can uh, you can check that out. That's in that that archive. So any of the stuff we talk about today, the links and all that will be in there. So be sure and um, and check that out. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, looks like we have a problem child in the uh, chat here. That we're going to have to have to deal with. Sorry, guy. Um, if you're coming in just to be a troll and, and stuff like that and spam, if you're a spammer, or if you're a troll. You're just out. We, we we ain't got no time for that. And you can go make up no. You can make up the the names all you want. This is private. This is not government funded, by the way. And I made mention of that before. When people want to talk about First Amendment, who does that apply to? It doesn't apply to me. Doesn't apply to Bradley. It applies to Congress. And when corporations, which are made by the state, they're created by the state. So they're an extension of the state. When they do it, they're violating that too. The issue of free speech. If you're going to come in here and you're just going to be a troll or a spammer, that's not free speech. No, it's not. You don't have any more right to do that here than you do to come on my property and, quote unquote, think you're exercising free speech. It's not the same thing. It really isn't. In any case... With that said, and I, I don't have a problem with people who disagree with me. Most people know that. I have plenty of people in the chat who would disagree with me at times. That's fine. Uh, but if you're going to troll and you're going to do the other stuff, that's a whole different issue. Anyway, that's people listening on the radio don't know what I'm talking about. You guys in the video, you, you see what's going on. I, you know, I had, a, I, did you guys see this, uh, this fella? He was, um, he, he was, uh, he was a bodybuilder an influencer, uh, Joe Lindner, Lindner, excuse me. He's also known as Joe Aesthetics. I don't know if that was, I think that was like an Instagram uh, handle that he used or whatever. And uh, what was interesting to me was if you, if you go to the article that I did on sonsofcelebritymedia.com, aneurysm takes life of bodybuilding influencer Joe Lindner at age 30. Evidence suggests COVID shot had something to do with it. Yeah, it certainly did. In fact, there's an interview there that's about five or six minutes long that you ought to, you ought to watch because what this guy did was, and I, I'm going to just quickly go over to it because I, I don't even, I'm probably going to do a, an Anna and Tommy thing, but this guy, obviously he's a, he's a, he's a big boy. It, it, it almost looks freakish when guys get like this because they have this tiny little waist and they have this big hulk up, upstairs, you know? Um, and it just, I don't know, to me, it's always been kind of repulsive, but anyway, he took the shots, the COVID shots. And in the interview, the guy, uh, who's interviewing him, he asked him, you know, why did you get it? He, the guy can't believe that this guy who's 30 years old, who's this bodybuilder would go in. And the guy said, why not? I didn't just get it. I got four of them. And then he had to have something called. Plasma pharesis. I hope I got that right. For those of you on the radio, P-L-A-S-M-A-P-H-E-R-E-S-I-S. 
This is a process that involves separating the plasma, the liquid part of the blood, from the blood cells. It can be done for therapeutic purposes or as a plasma donation. During the procedure, a machine removes the affected plasma and replaces it with either healthy plasma or a plasma substitute. This treatment is similar to kidney dialysis and can help address immune system-related issues caused by antibodies present in the plasma. Well, this guy Joe had to have it done and he said the doctors told him the shot was what caused the problem of why he had this stuff done. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now, we're not here to talk about it, but, you know, the the interview itself, I didn't get to put it in. I found the interview after I did the article. You can find it on my uh, personal uh, Rumble channel so, uh, at Setting Brush Fires. But it's on there. I had it up. And it's just incredible to listen to this guy. He has such discipline when it comes to his body as far as working out and building up his muscles and doing all this, but he has no discipline in submitting to the peer pressure because that's what he said caused it. All his friends are saying, you need to get it, you need to get it, you need to get it. And now he's dead. Now he's dead. And I don't rejoice over any of these deaths. I really don't, but it's incredible to me how many people will fall into that? Um, this morning, what I wanted to do, I wanted to do something a little different. Um, and that is, I, I want us to go back through, because there are many people, I, I know people who listen to the show uh, probably have been challenged to do this, and many of you have read the Declaration of Independence. But I wanted to go through that, and then I want to make some comments. I want to go back to some of what um, those who came before us endured and how they handle that. And so what I want to do is I want to read to you the reasons, the reasons why those men who came before us threw off tyranny. And when I say throw off tyranny, I want to ask you, what did they do? Did they go start a war with Britain? Did they start a war with the king? No, time and time again, man, they were peaceable. You know, as Paul says, you try to live at peace with all men as much as possible. You know, by by your efforts, you want to live at peace with men. I know I do. I want to live at peace with men. I don't want to be in a constant conflict with others. And these men who are our forefathers, that's what they tried to do. They tried to over and over petition those who were trying to rule over them to stop doing that and to start obeying God. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it time and time again. And so the men came together and they formed on July the 3rd, the Declaration of Independence. It was presented. They had signed it July the 4th, 1776. And here's what it reads. In case you've never read this, okay? Yep, sadly, there are quote-unquote conservatives, Christians, and constitutionalists who've never read the Declaration of Independence. Here's what it says. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. So there are already states um, when, they're, when they're establishing this. They weren't colonies anymore. They weren't trying to start them up. They were already states of America. When in the course of human events, and by the way, notice this. You guys on video platform, you'll notice. Do you notice anything different about United States of America? Yep, that's right. United is not capitalized. Why is that? 
because it wasn't a corporation. It wasn't uh, a, a, some kind of entity in and of itself. These were sovereign states that were united. And we need to get that because the socialists have come along and they, you know, they've put in things that make, oh, these are undissolvable and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, it's one nation and blah, blah, blah. No, it was always independent, sovereign states that were united. They joined together for a common purpose. Okay? But here's what it says. Unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. So what is he talking about there? He's talking about what we read from Paul the other day in Romans chapter 2 and 3. And that is that within the heart of man, he knows, he knows what is right and what is wrong. The Gentiles by nature do that which is according to law, right? Even though they don't have the law. They haven't been given the written law of God at the time. And yet they're doing it. Why? It's written on their heart. They know it. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So understand, they're showing here that the creator, Yahweh, has given to all men certain rights. Among them, this is not all of them, but among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or the original read, the pursuit of property. Okay? And what are governments instituted by? They're instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, from those men, the men they're governing in their jurisdiction. Okay, that's what he's. That's what they're writing here. So men institute the governments, and the governments, those who serve in those governments, derive their power from the people. Dave Jose made this very clear. We went through several of the constitutions where that's exactly what we're seeing there. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, what ends? To secure the rights. Okay? Secure the rights of the people. When they become destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people, not of the government, but of the people, to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles. What principles? That there's a creator, he's given certain rights. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is, are, are among those rights. And then that government is to protect those rights or to, they're to ensure those rights of the people, not to attack them, not to take them away. They're to ensure them. And if they don't do it, if they're destructive to that end in such a fashion as they faced and as we faced, and they'll point out some of these things here in just a minute, then it is the right of the people. That's you and me. 
to say, okay, we've had enough of your foolishness up there. And you become so corrupt that we can't even trust you to do what we told you to do as far as bringing justice. We're just going to alter you or we're going to abolish you and send you home. Then we'll figure out something else to do. Institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And I agree with that. You know, if you get somebody who, who made a mistake or they forgot something or they, they, they made, a, they made a, a terrible judgment on something, you look to call them to repent. I mean, that's, that's a biblical way of dealing with it. You look to call them to repent. If they won't repent, then you, you remove them out of, out of their position of authority that you've given to them. So they shouldn't be, this shouldn't be just over a trivial thing. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. So notice what they're saying. Men are more disposed to suffer under their evils than to actually do what these guys did and separate themselves from it. You follow what he said? They're disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they're accustomed. See, because that becomes habitual. We, we like our comfort. We like our sentimentality. We like, you know, whatever you want to tie on to your tie with being an American. We, we like that. They like the idea that they were, you know, English. But they were willing to separate from England. Why? Because it had become tyrannical to them. And they say so. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations producing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government. Why? Because men are not to submit to evil governments. They're not to submit to evil men. Not when they're doing things that are against the law. Now, if, you, if you've got a wicked man who's upholding the law of God, and you can obey him in those areas where he's upholding it, but you can't obey him in the places where he's being wicked and he's, he's violating the law of God. You can't do that. Just as Peter and John told the Sanhedrin, you know, you see whether or not we should obey you or whether we should obey God. We're going to obey God. So it says, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security, such as has been the patient sufferings of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations. Is that not what we're facing out of the federal government, friends? Isn't that what we're facing? Over and how many, I mean, for more than two decades at least, and I would say um, for 100 years at least, these have been the attacks on our money system, and for 170 years on our political system and our education. We, we've, been, we've been under this for quite a while. It's just been probably in the last 
little over two decades that we've really had the attacks coming from us, from our government. This is the history of the present King of Britain. It is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. That's what they have. That's what they're trying to do now. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And here's, here's the things that they listed here in the abuses against the states by England. And it wasn't just the king. Now, the king is the figurehead, obviously, but parliament was a part of it too. So what were the things that, that drove them to separate themselves, to have a divorce, if you will, from England, what, to, to, to have secession? This is, that's, how they, that's how they threw off tyranny was secession. They didn't go over there and fight him. They didn't go you know, poke his eye or anything like that. They seceded. They wanted peace. We can govern ourselves. Thank you very much. And this is what they say about the king. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He's been a law unto himself. He hasn't followed the laws of God, which he's constrained to do. He hasn't done that. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature. A right inestimable, inestim, eh, inestimable, boy, you got to get your lips together on that one, to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository excuse me, of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Yeah. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither and raising the conditions of new appropriations of land. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices. Does that sound familiar too? Yeah, they, they're going by, you know, somebody else's, whatever they wrote and whatever they put out instead of going by the law. And the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. Wow. That sounds like that's on the horizon for us too, by the way. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution. That's been going on for some time now in the United States. 
and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. That's a that's a word you need to have or a phrase there that you need to have in your vocabulary, pretended legislation. That means legislation put forward. It may be signed into law, but it's really not law because there's no authority for it to make it law and it doesn't comport with God's law. That's going to come up again here in just a minute. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for, watch this, pretended offenses. Where do those pretended offenses come from? From the pretended legislation they made up. Boy, we've got that going on all over the place. I mean, we're criminalizing all kinds of stuff that's not a crime. It doesn't even fall under a crime according to the law of God. I mean, they're just making stuff up to deal with their enemies, those who would dissent, those who would oppose them. For abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. Is that what is that what a governor is supposed to do? Now, true, if people are insurrectionists, then you're to put that down. Okay, if they're lawless, you put it down. But when they're law, when they're upholding to the law and they're not insurrectionists, <laughs> then you are to govern them as one who has been given authority by God and by the people in a manner that is suitable to the law of God in the first place. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries. Does that sound familiar to you? What's going on with the borders? You don't think that's the same thing? Look back to history. Look to England, Charles I. Look here in the States of what they're saying had happened. Transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy, scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. Yeah, the guy's a monster is what he is. He has constrained our fellow citizens, taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country. To become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections among, amongst us, and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, who know, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. See, they tried to do it peacefully. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may be defined or which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Amen. That's exactly right. 
Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. I hope I sang consanguinity. Sorry about that. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in General Congress, assemble, uh, General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection and divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And for those of you who are on the video platform, you'll see the names of these men who came there and from the states they, they came to sign on to these things. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, Gail. I mean, virtually everything that's being churned out from D.C. is pretended legislation. By the way, states have are doing a lot of that stuff, too. States are doing it, too. And this is what these guys dealt with. So, listen, things haven't changed. Man's not any better than he was in 1776. He's still depraved. He's still depraved. He still does this. He still commits the same old sins. He finds new ways to do it, but he still commits the same old sins. And when those who get in authority think they can get away with it and the people don't hold them accountable that they serve, well, guess what they're going to do? They're just going to keep on in their depravity and their wickedness. And there's got to come a time where the people are either going to bring justice against them or they're going to have to abolish the system that they're, they're with by either altering it, completely abolishing it, or seceding from it and say, we don't want anything to do with it. All of those are peaceable ways of doing it. Now, you say, well, Tim, they're just not going to let that go. That's right. But the peace part would be on the people who don't want any part of them anymore. That would be the peace part. The guys who don't want to let it go are the tyrants. Of course, they're not going to just let their... I mean, it'd be like telling the Pharisees, you know, hey, you know, your, your authority is no longer any good. Jesus did that, right? You guys, you don't even do what you say that you're doing. You don't even do that. And what did that make them want to do? Now, Jesus was peaceful. Did he take up a spear against them? Did he get a, you know, some arrows and a sword? No, he didn't do that. He used the sword of his mouth. He didn't do that. He pointed out where their fault was. And what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Because they like their positions of power and authority. That's what they did. So what, what brought all this on? Well, we've been through this before. 
They were trying peacefully to deal with these things. And there came a time about a year prior to where the British had come in and they had attacked those who were living at that time trying to live in peace. This is from an article I did some years back about uh, really what the spark of the revolution was, was them coming to take the arms. Listen to this. On June the 19th, 1775, uh, this is Thomas Gage. He was the governor there of Massachusetts. Finally gave an ultimatum, uh, ultimatum to the Bostonians. They were to surrender their arms. Now, the Bostonians then wouldn't do that. But today, boy, they'll happily surrender their arms uh, let the uh, SWAT teams walk down the streets, terrorize them, bust in their houses without warrants, looking for a little doe-eyed guy that they say, you know, blew up a bomb at the Boston Marathon. It's a shame. It really is. It's shameful. Anyone that was found in possession of arms would be deemed guilty of treason. Can you believe that? Guilty of treason. That sounds a lot like the guys from Nazi Germany. Only this is 100 years, years before. Just weeks later, on July the 6th, 1775, the Continental Congress issued a declaration by the representatives of the United Colonies of North America, now met in Congress at Philadelphia, setting forth the causes and necessity of their taking up arms. This was written by Thomas Jefferson and Pennsylvania lawyer John Dickinson. Here's what he wrote. We are reduced to the alternative, uh, this is Jefferson, we're reduced to the alternative of choosing an unconditional submission to the tyranny of irritated ministers or resistance by force. The latter is our choice. We have counted the cost of this contest and find nothing so dreadful as voluntary slavery. Boy, how many of you feel like you're slaves out there right now? And by the way, I might say voluntarily by staying in this system. This was our forefathers. You know what they felt like. Honor, justice, and humanity forbid us tamely to surrender that freedom which we have received from our gallant ancestors and which our innocent posterity have a right to receive from us. We cannot endure the infamy and guilt of resigning seceding generations to that wretchedness which inevitably awaits them if we basely entail hereditary bondage upon them. Our cause is just, our union is perfect, our internal resources are great, and if necessary, foreign assistance is undoubtedly attainable. With hearts fortified with these animating reflections, we most solemnly, before God and the world, declare that exerting the, most, the utmost energy of those powers which are benef beneficent, <laughs> I can't even say the word, Creator hath graciously bestowed upon us the arms we have been compelled by our enemies to assume we will, in defiance of every hazard, with unabating firmness and perseverance, employ for the preservation of our liberties, being with one mind resolved to die free men rather than to live as slaves. So what happened? Well, they tried their best to get along with them. But that was not going to be let, that wasn't going to be happening. And so what we find is we find the men being prepared for war because they knew they were going to face it. They tried everything they could to be peaceful with the king and with the British. 
man by the name of Jonas Clark. Now, I did a show, and I'll have a link up here. The video's gone because YouTube canceled. I'll see if I can go grab it and maybe re-upload it and put it back in. But um, I did this in 2020, and I read this sermon. This, this sermon from Jonas Clark. He was pastor of the day. He, in fact, several of the men who fought, bled, and died at Lexington, um, the, the shots heard around the world, Lexington and Concord there, on April the 19th, 1775. He, he was the pastor of some of those men. He warned them and he trained them. He helped to train them. And I want to read you a couple of things, and I want to read you some portions of his sermon that he wrote a year after that took place. Uh, he wrote it in 1776. Here's a little background on Jonas. He was born on Christmas Day in, Link in Lexington, Massachusetts. He graduated from Cambridge University at the age of 22, was ordained as a minister three years later. And while serving as a minister, he also worked a farm of 60 acres in order to supply his family with food. Ah. <laughs> you don't see a lot of pastors doing that, do you? He continued as a pastor of the church at Lexington for half a century. Clark was an avid American patriot before and during the American War for Independence. He actively wrote papers related to pressing issues such as the Stamp Act, and many of the leading patriots stayed at his home and sought his counsel. In fact, both John Hancock and Samuel Adams were at his home in April 18, 1775 when Paul Revere made his famous midnight ride to alert them that they must flee or face being caught by the coming British. Upon hearing the news, they turned to Pastor Clark, asked if the people of Lexington would fight, to which he replied, I have trained them for this very hour. Again, I ask, how many preachers in America are not only teaching their people the word of God, they're training them? to fight, to wage war, to defend themselves. How many of them are doing that? Jonas Clark did it. He took it serious. He took it serious. The following morning, some 70 men from his church faced over 700 British soldiers, and when the shot heard round the world was over, 18 Americans were laying on the ground, both black and white patriots, all members of his church, his influence continued throughout the war and afterwards, and he helped pen the Massachusetts Constitution. He published many sermons over his lifetime, including the following sermon, which I'm going to highlight some, play, some uh, things here, and then I'll have for you guys, in fact, you guys who are in the video uh, platform, I'll just drop this in here. You can uh, read the sermon there, but uh, this is, this is the, uh, the cover of the sermon here, and this is how it reads. The fate the fate of bloodthirsty oppressors. Now, if you've never seen the uh, New England Primer, some of these letters are going to look funny to you. They do an S, and then they do an S like this. It looks kind of like an F without the little cross on it. Okay, So that's, that's why that looks that way. Right? But if you get the New England Primer, it's a small little book. You can pick that up for, for next to nothing. Um, we had that. They, that's how kids used to learn their ABCs. The ABCs were, in, were little phrases. Uh, with biblical verses and things like that, there was a uh, a poem. I think there was a poem in there from a man who was burned at the stake. He had a, a lot of children, and uh, it was a poem for that. There was other things that were in there. It was a small little book, and that's how children learn to read and write. 
The fate of bloodthirsty oppressors and God's tender care of his distressed people. A sermon preached at Lexington, April 19, 1776, to commemorate the murder, bloodshed, and commencement of hostilities between Great Britain and America in that town by a brigade of, a brigade of troops of George III under command of Lieutenant Colonel Smith on the 19th of April, 1775. And here's, and it's by Jonas Clark, as you can see, pastor of the church in Lexington. Those things doth the Lord hate, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. You know, it's, it's really interesting because we have the same kind of thing going on, don't we? Again, men haven't changed. They haven't changed one bit. Just because we have new technology, again, just means that there's new ways of doing the same old sins. So there's a couple of places in here that I want to, uh, to point your attention. And these are some of the, uh, the points that he makes. And I, I'm not going to read all of them, but I do want you to see some of them. So let me see if I can just blow this up for the video audience a little bit, because I can read it fine, but I know sometimes the, the words are kind of small here. In the first place, well, let me, let me back up here just a tad. Um, <clears throat> no, let's just start here. In the first place, it is admitted that for wise purposes, a just God may permit powerful enemies or oppressors to injure, do violence unto, and distress his people. Yep, we see that all throughout the Old Testament. And to carry their measures of violence and oppression to such lengths among them, as to strike at their life and shed innocent blood in their land. As God is the sovereign of the world and, the exer and exercises his government for the glory of his name and the good of the whole, so he hath a paternal concern for the special benefit and improvement of his church and people. All creatures are his servants, and God accomplishes, accomplisheth his designs and carries his counsels to effect by what means and instruments he pleases. It is with him alone who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working to bring out the bring good out of evil. When God designs the reproof and correction of his people, he can exercise his holy discipline in various ways and by various means as shall best answer the purposes of his government. This holy discipline is accordingly exercised sometimes by the immediate hand of providence. See, sometimes God does things on his own. But many times, but most times, he uses means to do it. That means, in most cases, he uses men to accomplish his, his purpose. As in wasting sickness, parching drought, awful and de desolating earthquakes, or other judgments which are immediately from God himself. Or, this may do be done more immediately by the instrumentality of his creatures, and even the wicked, and those that love the wages of unrighteousness, that delight in oppression, Waste and spoil, or thirst for innocent blood, may be improved as the rod in his hand to correct, or punish the sins of his people. With this view, the oppressor is permitted to injure, insult, oppress, and lay waste in a land, and to carry his measures to the shedding of innocent blood. With the same design does a sovereign God give the enemy a commission in war and fire and sword to distress and destroy. Now, I want you to think about that just for a second. Clark said, and I think you can prove it, it's all throughout the Scripture, it really is, that enemies 
can be allowed by the Lord to come in to bring judgment upon his people. Even to the shedding of innocent blood. Well, Tim, then that means that God is behind them doing these wicked things and God's responsible for the evil. Well, wait a minute. The Bible does say when there's evil, there's calamity and such in the city. It's the Lord who brought it. That's true. But who's the one actually doing it? It's the wicked men. Are, are, is God like got a gun to their head making them do their wicked de deeds? No. Nope, not at all. God's bringing them in. He's using their wicked desires against his people to judge his people. And then he'll turn right around and he will judge the oppressor for the wickedness of their own hearts and their actions that they're doing. Do you understand that? If you don't understand that, go to Genesis 50, read what Joseph said to his brothers, because they thought after Jacob's dead, he's going to kill us. He's got the power to kill us. And he brings them in and he goes, brothers, I love you, but what you meant for evil, what was the intent of your heart? What you meant for evil towards me, God used that situation for the good and for the saving of many people. Some people say, well, how, how can this be? God wouldn't do that. Yes, he does. If you don't see that, you don't read your Bible. I don't, I don't, you may be listening to somebody, but you don't read your Bible because it's all through the Old Testament for sure. And it, I think it's even in the New Testament as well, but it's definitely in the Old Testament time and time and time and time again with God's people. This is what it was doing. So he makes this a point. He carries that out. And then he comes to a second point. Secondly, to observe the fate of oppressors and the sentence of heaven against those that do violence to God's people and shed innocent blood in their land. So you, you see what I'm saying? He allows them to come in and bring judgment. And then he turns his judgment on them. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Who were their oppressors? Egypt, Edom. They were their oppressors. And God was going to deal with them too. However, Clark goes on, just it may be in God to correct his people, whatever right is ascribed to him of improving the wicked as the rod in his hand to correct or the sword to punish them, yet this alters not the nature of their oppressive designs, neither does it abate their guilt or alleviate their crime in, their, in these measures of injustice, violence, or cruelty by which the people of God are distressed. And then he gives an example here. Thus God speaks of the Assyrian king, a prince noted in history for his avarice and ambition, cruelty and oppression, and in him of the Assyrian state, whose character was included in that of its king, saying, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in, thy, in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him to, a, to an hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath while I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy. Wherefore, it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. And so it came to pass. 
For this power, that which such a mighty hand and for so long a time oppressed God's people and other nations in God's due time, felt the weight of the iron yoke and received double for all the injustice, oppression, and cruelty it had exercised towards others. So you see, God sees on both sides here. He sees on both sides. He'll bring wicked men against his people who have departed wickedly from him, and he'll bring that judgment on them so that they learn not to do it again. And then what happens? He turns his attention towards the oppressor, and he brings judgment upon them. Well, aren't they accomplishing his will? Yes, in a certain sense they are. Not his prescribed will, not what's written in the scriptures. The commands that he's given, his statutes and his judgment, we just saw that they're unjust, they're oppressive, they're cruel. That's not part of what God commanded people. Yet it is part of his secret decretive will because nothing happens in time and space apart from God decreeing it. It just doesn't. You mean even bad things? Let me ask you something. Was the death of Christ something that was prophesied? Yeah, it was. Down to the very time period it was going to happen. And what was going to happen? The specifics of it. Who the people were that would be involved. Was it God's command, statute, or his judgment that men put his son to death? No. It's clearly written that they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't shed innocent blood. And yet, they did. And how does that fit in with what God has given? That's part of his decree. Now, he revealed some of that to us in the Scriptures, but that's part of his decree. Thirdly, this is from Jonas Clark again. To observe in the prophecy before us the peculiar care God takes of his church and people, and the assurance they have, even when actually suffering violence and under the cruel hand of oppression, of redemption, restoration, and establishment, and that God himself will plead their cause and both cleanse and avenge their innocent blood. Nothing can be more directly oppressive of this sentiment or a firmer ground of assurance for the confirmation of the faith and hope of God's chosen people in the belief of it that the promise and prophecy concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the text, while Egypt and Edom, while the enemies and oppressors of God's people are doomed to that desolation, they so justly deserve, the strongest assurances are given that Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I, saith God, will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. The words are plain and need no comment. They speak the language of Scripture, fact, and experience for the confirmation of the faith and hope of God's church and chosen in days of perplexity and darkness and when actually under the the injustice, violence, and cruelty of inveterate enemies or bloodthirsty oppressors. Here are two things for the inducement and confirmation of the faith and hope of God's church and people in such times of darkness and distress, which are well worthy, serious notice and attention. And I'm going to I'm going to give these. I don't know if we'll go over just a little bit here, but I think this is important because these are the times we're in. This is the reason I I chose this song today as the pre-show This something wicked this way comes. Is because it's in these times where things are going to, where they're difficult and where they're getting increasingly filled with violence and injustice 
that God's people need a word to them. The Bible says where there is no revelation, the people perish. And the people need to hear a word from God. And I'm not one of those guys who just pull out words out of the air and say, oh, God said this. I, I cringe when people do that stuff. I just, I cringe when people do it. I'm getting like, it just makes my hair stand up even to think about it when people do that. That's just foolishness. Now you go to what God has said. And here's what Jonas Clark points his people to. Again, remember this sermon is written in 1776, the year after the shot heard around the world. He says this, first, God's word and promise in which he assures his people that notwithstanding the violence of their enemies against them and the distress and sorrow their oppressors may have caused them by shedding innocent blood among them, yet they shall never avail to overthrow or destroy them, but they shall assuredly be redeemed and delivered out of their hands and restored and established as is church and people in a flourishing state. And then secondly, to leave no doubt upon their minds, as to the fulfillment of this blessed promise, a gracious God condescends to explain himself in the clearest terms possible and to satisfy them that nothing should fail of all that he had promised. He assures them that he would take the work into his own hands and see to the accomplishment of it himself, that thus it might appear to them and to the world of mankind that the Lord was with them and dwelt in the midst of them, Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Words well suited to cheer and comfort the sinking spirits of God's afflicted, oppressed people, and words which might rouse the faith and give a spring to the hope of the most feeble and faint-hearted among God's people in the depths of distress. For God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he promised, and shall he not perform? Hath he spoken, and shall he not bring it to pass? Yep. Yep. Let me end with this. From Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 10, or excuse me, verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Listen, friends, these are exciting. They're dark times, but they're exciting times. Why? Do you have you been wanting to see the glory of God on display? We're at the threshold of that. I really believe that. We're at the threshold because God is going to bring us to the end of ourselves. He's really going to bring us to the end of ourselves. And at that point, we're going to see the fourth man show up in the fire. And we're going to see the glory of God demonstrated. Are you ready for that? Are you praying for that? Are you preparing and training for that? I hope so. Bradley, be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. We'll be back with you, Lord willing, in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. See you.